Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Uh, okay. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Building Science to the Building Science Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin with Positive Energy. I also have the great good fortune to introduce you, if you haven't already met, perchance, Sam McAfee with Zola Windows. Please say hello, Sam. Hey, everybody. I'm going to go ahead and let Sam, you, go, you introduce yourself. Like, tell us a little about your background and your role currently with Zola Windows. Oh, you're going to kill me. Uh, Ten years in Passive House. <laughs> uh, I'm an old builder, so um, I'm a window guy which is kind of weird to say. I never grew up and said, hey, I want to be a window guy. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. I did not, no. But I was running a construction company back in 2009 and 10 and came across this thing called Passive House. Uh, ended up building one of the first Passive Houses here in New York City, uh, an 1846 historic retrofit to the uh, what became the Interfit standard, International Passive House Standard. Believe it or not, it's not certified because it's actually one of the projects that was used to develop the Interfit. Very cool. Uh, I saw windows, I was like, what are these windows? These are the BMW of windows. I've never seen anything like this. This is not your typical US window. And ever since then, I've, I've just loved European windows and high performance Passive House windows. Can't get enough of it, that's great. And, I, and by way of introduction to the topic, for you guys listening, windows are in fact um, the place in the building where light gets in. You know, light is electromagnetic radiation. I think it's 400 to 700 nanometers. And other things get in when we let that light in. We get thermal energy on one side of the spectrum, infrared, and we get UV on the other. Um, and this is by way of introduction. I want Sam and I to briefly go over the functional specifications that. Um, that evaluate window performance. So one is when we let the light in, we let the heat in and the UV in. That goes, that, that's called solar heat gain coefficient. Uh, and the second one is the U value, uh, which is the thermal conduction value, basically temperature difference from inside to out. Um, there's two others, and Sam, I'm gonna let you talk about these since they're a little trickier. <laughs> Lucky you. So visible light transmissions, VLT, and then the, the air leakage. Maybe focus a little more on air leakage. Can you talk about those specifications briefly? Sure. So visual light transmission, you know, if you want to uh, stop the solar heat gain coefficient or you want to uh, control the U-value, you can just pretty much put paint on your glass, <laughs> which stops the light energy from moving through the window. So it's a balance between how clear and what color and how much light passes through, and then also the performance. And so VLT is just a, a number that helps you understand how, uh, how natural looking the light is that passes through the window. Got it. Okay, good. Very clear. And we usually see uh, low E366 uh, cardinal glass often around, at least certainly down here in Austin. And that's what gives our downtown that characteristic greenish tint. I was just going to say, you got a 1980s technology floating around the south. It was developed exactly for your climate. So, but, uh, Fascinating. We'll get to it later, but European glass, 
not like that at all. Performance numbers are higher. Color, clarity, visual transmittance, completely different, much better. It's They've separated the two. So that's kind of the key to like European windows is that they have access to this really interesting glass that's not really uh, ubiquitous. It's manufactured here in the U.S. at scale right now. Yeah, and that is a preview of things to come for the audience here. Infiltration? Infiltration. Uh, infiltration is kind of the the new guy on the block. Uh, and this is really has to do with like high performance and passive house and the, the, the understanding now that uh, air leakage moving through the window causing Here's a nerd term, thermal bypass. You know, if a window has a U value and it has a, a, a thermal value, what's the use of that thermal value if uh, hot or cold air is just going right through it? Right. So, so making windows super airtight reinforces all the other performance values that you're trying to achieve in the window. Otherwise, you get thermal bypass, thermal bypass through infiltration, and it's just... Uh, it's pretty much a 90% of the uh, performance of the window equation. Wow. Yes. I didn't realize that. So tight windows that perform with a U-value that's not so good are completely better than leaky windows with a very, very high performance value. And what is it, so just staying on this a little bit more, what is it that would guide a window to be tight or, or loose from an air leakage perspective? So I like to, I like to use the metaphor that you don't see uh, a double hung window on a submarine. <laughs> you just won't get tight gaskets and sliding doors don't exist uh, submerged. And it's just, it's just not something you see because the balance between having a uh, compressed gasket and a tight fit uh, doesn't really work when sliding perpendicular to the gasket. So uh, the standard around the world right now, except in the U.S., is a multi-point uh, casement or tilt-turn window that has two or three gaskets all the way around the perimeter, contiguous, and multi-point connections that actually pull it tight. That gives you an extremely tight window. I guess let's get into that. So the, the main topic today is for us to kind of using your experience to get a window into the high performance window industry and not just the one in the US. Um, so with those basics in mind, you know, keep in mind that the basics actually there, there can be a lot more. Let's dig in by talking about the future of windows by talking about the present of windows and I guess something along the lines of Sam, do you have a sense of what people know about windows or what they need to know in order to evaluate them? Uh, you know what? That's the, the most po uh, most complicated portion of the conversation. It's kind of like Google Maps. If you needed to go somewhere, how do you know where you are in the first place to, to plot a route to where you need to go? And the U.S. market uh, doesn't report infiltration. People don't know how tight they are. They don't understand the windows available to them versus all the other windows that are out there. So uh, the conversation always starts with what is the window you already use? So. For most people, that's a double hung, that's a wood, that's an Anderson, Marvin, or equal. Uh, it might be a vinyl window. Uh, knowing the U-value, the SHGC, the visual transmittance, and the infiltration air tightness, and then showing them what's really available out there, it turns into a no-brainer conversation once they realize that for zero cost differential, they can upgrade their windows by two to three times the performance. Wow. Could you uh, maybe dig into that a little bit, please? Yeah, this is again, <laughs> US versus European market. So um, 
how do I say that for the last 20 to 30 years, there's been very little innovation in US Windows? Oh, you can uh, just say it just like that. I'll just say it just like that. There has been no investment. There's been no manufacturing development. There's been no innovation. We're using the same type of glass as you stated in the South. Uh, that's brown. That's uh, the same 1980s low-E government-funded glass that was developed. While the European Union and has been investing in building efficiency as if it's a uh, national security issue. They don't want to buy gas from Russia through a Ukraine pipeline that gets shut down because in the middle of winter, it's actually a national security issue. So building efficiency has been invested in by the European Union for decades now, and they've been bringing the prices down, uh, adding robots to manufacturing, developing new films for glass, developing low iron glass that has higher performance, like really making it high performance into a commodity. So the prices are so low and automated. And now we, as America, get to import and use this product, which is really cheap compared to the bespoke handmade, inefficient, low quality stuff that's typically made in the US. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to do something that's probably a little bit of a mind bender, but when you say that there's been very little innovation in U.S. glass manufacturers, pretend you worked for Guardian or Cardinal. <laughs> okay. How would they qualify that, or how would you qualify that if you're in that role? I mean, there's been some change. Sure, sure, and, and what, what you're seeing is actually Guardian U.S. or Cardinal U.S. calls their counterpart in Europe Guardian Europe or Cardinal Europe and ask them questions because they're two separate companies. They are at the top level connected, but they operate in two different economies, two different uh, ASTM versus IS, uh, ISO and ES standards. Uh, they do not cross talk a whole lot. And in fact, most of the salespeople in say Guardian US don't know the answers to the, I mean, Guardian Poland knows way more about high performance glass than Guardian US. We, I just had this conversation last week on a project with those two entities. I mean, it sounds like it gets into uh, market economics as well as a sophisticated user base. Uh, can I throw another layer on there? Yeah, please. It gets, in, it gets into the legal as well. Uh, the, 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 litigious, uh, the litigious approach in the United States where it throws something on the wall and if you get sued, then react to it. They're much more conservative in Europe and the Europeans are more handshake based. When you do a deal, you're less likely to back out of it. So it's two different uh, psychologies, it's two different economies, it's two different like uh, political environments, two different investments. One's social, socially based. This we're definitely not socialism here. We're economic and market based. They're just two different markets completely. Uh, how, how can you describe the difference in technologies? Really what it comes down to in Windows uh, is four key components. Uh, the things that have been focused on in the European market, especially since Passive House came along in the 90s and started adding a couple components, is low iron glass versus regular glass. Removing the iron from the glass changes its performance by 16% immediately. And, and what that does is actually it changes its acoustic, changes its thermal performance, also changes its clarity. You wouldn't necessarily put this type of glass low iron in automotive. You wouldn't necessarily use it in airlines or any of the type of windows or mirrors. But, but there's a market for it when you're talking about uh, 
bathroom shower doors or uh, office glass for div dividers and also window fenestration. So that's kind of, there's different glasses for different spots. Mm -hmm. uh, spacer technology. The edge piece that is the thermal spacer between the glass. Uh, here in the United States, a lot of window companies are still just using an aluminum spacer filled with a desiccant to absorb the moisture. I don't think that spacer is even used at all anymore in Europe, which is they're using uh, polymer, high performance, uh, super insulative Passive House. Passive House has actually made it so a high performance spacer is the norm in Europe. Those are honestly not really used that much still in windows in the US. Uh, air tightness, huge. Recognizing that an airtight window, draft free, the whole thing, multi gaskets, uh, multi point, that is. Uh, most people in Europe do not accept a window that's double hung. Double hungs just aren't a market except for in the UK and Ireland. Everywhere else it's, it's casements or, or tilt turns. There's another one out there. I totally forgot because it's too big of a subject. <laughs> <laughs> frame performance, uh, thermal performance of frames, uh, and how much, uh, there's, there's like a, there's like a little, uh, how do I say this? This is the biggest part of the conversation with a customer. It's usually what's their budget, what frame material are they interested in, i.e., do they want to finish it? Is it wood grain? Is it steel? Is it aluminum? And then how much performance can I get out of that material? And often is the case, almost every single time, customers are like, I want a super thin frame that is the highest performance for very little money. And the three of those do not work together. The thinner the frame, the more it becomes aluminum or steel, driving up the price. And if you want high performance, you have to keep putting expensive stuff into the frame to add insulation where there is none in aluminum and steel, again, driving up the price. So the, the balancing act and the desire is how thin can I make the frame? How high can I have the performance in order to maintain a budget? And usually that's like 90% of a conversation on a project in educating that sweet spot. I guess we can talk specifically about Zola now, staying on the, the frame performance. If I remember right, you guys have, you do have one of the unplasticized PVC frame? We, we, we do have a UPVC unplasticized, and for those out there who don't understand what the U stands for, it means uh, it doesn't expand and contract a lot, and the unplasticizer is that, that uh, carcinogenic chemical that they add to PVC which gives you those like squishy ball toys that you might give to your kid, which you shouldn't. Uh, that's, that's a softener that they throw into PVC, which, which when the sun is on the product, it can expand and contract. Uh, traditionally, vinyl windows are known in the U.S. to like seize up in their opening when the sun's on them. Sometimes you can't open the physical unit because it's gotten larger within its opening. Uh, UPVC uh, is, is not like that at all. It's a solid window. It's very hard plastic. It doesn't do that. So, um, We do at Zola have UPVC. Uh, a lot of people don't like to use plastic uh, for environmental reasons. Uh, but UPVC uh, represents a portion of the market which is extremely important in that uh, from an embodied energy, a whole life cycle, it represents the least impact to the planet takes the least amount of energy to produce, has the highest recycling content possibility, provides the highest performance frame, 
at the lowest total product cost. Wow. So UPVC, it, it, it's better than aluminum in those categories. I, uh, I jokingly say, at what point does an aluminum performance frame become a plastic frame with aluminum on it? Because in its core is a piece of plastic that that aluminum frame is being filled with more and more thermally isolating plastic and it's becoming more and more a aluminum clad plastic window versus just a uh, UPVC window with aluminum on it. There's a there's a high, there's a point at which it just crosses over. So wow, I did not know that. I do know aluminum is a fairly to very very high embodied energy material. You got to mine it out of the ground and use a huge amount of energy to like c cook it out of the ground. Where PVC is like a low temperature extrusion with like not much energy to produce. So. Mm -hmm. And it, that does presuppose that global society is already pulling those chemicals out of the ground to use for fuel for our economy. Right. The other concern with, uh, and this is from a European, uh, European uh, Union funded report to look at like what's the best technology and why would you do something like uh, plastic windows versus wood or, or uh, metal or aluminum. Right. And what, they, what they found is that actually the recycling uh, of used PVC windows was extremely high because of the way construction debris is, is recycled at the point of uh, uh, demolition. The window comes through, it's sorted out, it's a huge component, it's all one big piece of plastic, it gets thrown on the pilot, it gets ground up, the steel gets with a magnet pulled out of it, and off it goes to the plant to be reused. It's actually very, very high recycled. Wow, I'm so glad you elaborated into that. So. Uh, UPVC, you have aluminum, and then you have aluminum clad UPVC and aluminum clad wood. So what about wood? How does that factor in? So wood is, uh, of course, carbon sequestering, if you want to look at it from an environmental standpoint. Um, at Zolo, we use all uh, forward stewardship wood, FSC. Awesome. So that means it's managed for us. We don't go and uh, cut from places that don't have uh, management processes. Uh, in fact, a lot of our factory uh, connections in Europe actually have their own forests. They actually have bought forests that supply only to them, and it's their forests that they take their wood from. The wood is, uh, the product that I actually personally like to sell most of with the wood is the finger-joined pine clad window. And a lot of people are like, finger-joined wood? Can't I just get a clear, long piece of wood without knots? And I'm like, yeah, but it's going to warp. But if you do finger-joined, they reverse the grain. They engineer it together. They can do longer lengths. It's kind of like an engineered timber uh, stud. You just get a longer, straighter, higher quality piece of wood when you like layer it up and reverse the grains and glue it together properly. We like to do that because it's the highest performance, lowest cost, highest stability. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of timber. So. That is awesome. And then there's a fourth choice that I don't think, at least last I checked, Zola is not using fiberglass frames, is that correct? Uh, fiberglass, fiberglass fenestration products are an American product predominantly. Oh, interesting. Uh, we, we like to call it pultrusion, which is the fibers get pulled and the thing gets like extracted and yanked and they do it at like 16 to 20 foot pieces at a time. That is a, that is a predominantly American invention. Some, some manufacturers have done it out of Europe, but the prices are very high. Fiberglass, the fiberglass pultrusion industry is, is more robust in the United States. But the cost of those window frames is not, is not competitive with, I mean, it's like an aluminum cost. So it is high structure and it has good playing characteristics, but it, it's not priced at a way that most people would use it. Right. 
All right, I got a question actually going back. So you mentioned FSC Wood, which is fantastic for everyone listening. Hugely impactful decision there. But there's an economic decision versus sort of an ethical, moral decision, I suppose. It's a trade-off there. Was, how did that decision get made at Zola? Is there a small group of people that make that decision? Is it spread out? So it actually is a much more standard approach in Europe. So it was a, a small decision. Like FSC is so readily available. In fact, most of the market in Europe is FSC. They just care about it there morally. So it was easier to make that decision because the factory's located in Eastern Europe. Here, it was a little later to the game, so it's, it seems like a bigger deal, but there it's actually standard practice, so it's not that big of a deal for someone. Interesting, that's so great. Let's, let's go in now, I guess, to the high-performance window market generally. Um, is it accurate to say that all of the main players came out of the European market? I mean, I'm thinking you, know, you got Zola and Cascadia and Enersign is one I've heard about recently, Unilux. I mean, there's several, Alpen, Cascadia. Are those all EU-based firms or some of them American firms? Does Zola have a Zola EU, a Zola US? Out of the list you just said, uh, Cascadia and Alpen, which is, uh, those two are not out of Europe. Okay. So they're using, they're, uh, Cascadia, I believe, is Canadian. Okay. And Alpen's uh, was originally a conglomerate out of the central Colorado states area. Alpen's interesting because they have their own glass technology, which is film-based. So to get triple and quads, they do two outer pieces of glass, but then use a stretched film mm -hmm. to produce the chamber's interior to get additional chambers, which is really smart because they could not produce the European glass in the U.S., and that's their way of actually getting around. So it's, it's a really good technology, and it's gotten much better. It's actually good glass, so it's impressive. Cascadia's glass I don't know so much about because I uh, haven't installed their product. <laughs> but, okay. uh, but those are the two. The rest of them are uh, European. Uh, maybe I could pivot real quick and talk about why windows from Europe are cheaper? Yes, please. That would be a good topic. So just as NAFTA is a hot button topic and just as uh, exporting clothing manufacturing to Southeast Asia is a hot topic, uh, the, the entire ecosystem of, of the European window market is that, uh, for instance, we'll take Poland. Uh, the cost of steel in Poland is like 18% less than it is in the U.S., the cost of glass in Poland is like half the, half the cost of glass in the U.S. The, the cost of labor in Poland is half that of the U.S. Uh, the hardware systems and the handles and the, the multi-point mechanisms and all those components are probably about a 60% reduction because you're in Eastern Europe. Wow. So, so then they also have factories in Europe that are half, if not more, automated, meaning most of the processes are a person feeding the product into a machine and the machine is doing the fabrication, the cutting and the mitering and the assembly and then kicking out components to be assembled together. Very much like auto manufacturing at BMW or Tesla, that's already in the European window manufacturing system. None of that exists in the US. So there is currently no one who can produce a high performance window in the US that meets or competes with the price of a European window, even with the shipping cost. 
Wow. And these are all sure. the high quality tilt turn, you know, very high R values. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. You can go to the Home Depot in Germany called Bau. I love the fact it's called Bau. Yeah, wood. Mm -hmm. They have a, an R8 triple UPVC steel reinforced window tilt turn on the floor. It's like a meter and a half by meter and a half, four foot or so by four foot. It cost $8 a square foot. Oh that my is goodness. half the price of a vinyl window from Home Depot at one quarter of the performance. Oh my goodness. What would the R value be, did you just say? It's got an R9 glass, <laughs> R8 glass. Oh triple, my God. Thin triple. And so Zola itself it started as a European company. How did it make its way into the US? Zola was not a European company, but its owner, Florian, who's, who, and his wife, who, who, who launched this here in the US, he is a, a Swiss German uh, architect here in the US. Oh, From the university trained. He was trying to specify windows and he was getting <laughs> shocked at how cr crappy the windows he was receiving from US companies was when he grew up around such high quality. That simple. He knew better because he was from Europe. And then he must have either had or um, clairvoyantly developed some business development acumen. I mean, you've made a business out of it and business model innovation and automation, as you mentioned, I think those are tremendous driving forces. I have to say, and I, I, I didn't found the company, I'm not Florian, Florian's my boss, but we're the nerds of the window industry right now. Um, that's the way he likes to say it, he hires all the nerds. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I have to, I'm proudly having to say that right now Zola is shipping, uh, I think in a couple of weeks, uh, to uh, McMurda Station in Antarctica. Wow. They are doing a renovation. And I think it's five pieces of glass, handling a negative 60, custom frame, custom everything, extreme conditions. Zola is the people chosen to actually do that job. Imagine that was a comp competitive bid situation, or how did that happen? I, I, have, I have a feeling. I'll, maybe you can follow up with Florian sometime, but I have a feeling there wasn't a whole lot of other window companies who can handle that kind of like tech. So how do we get from here to there? How do we get the U.S. market to, uh, I guess let's start with the, probably the hardest question. How do we get people to uh, understand windows better and care about them? Any, any thoughts on that? So I, I ran a little startup for four years that, uh, you know, had its cracks and is, is not really, uh, it's called FenTrend, Fenestration Trends. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was an online uh, client-focused marketplace that could estimate uh, the cost of your schedule across thousands of products instantly. What I found is that when you say window, uh, there are approximately 40 to 45 separate market segments that don't have a lot to do with each other. Most people don't even know, again, where they're starting. You say UPVC and then say, I'm, I'd like to be a UPVC budget, but I'm interested in steel. Really? That's like 10x your budget. <laughs> oh my goodness. People just don't know because it's just so complicated, but they don't really know how complicated it is because no one's ever let them see. You have to get technically a PhD in the window market. It is that sophisticated. How do we get people a PhD in the window market? We, we don't. We don't. We don't. We can't. But we can guide them on their specific project within the parameters that they specifically want to focus on. And so here at Zola and myself, we consider ourselves uh, window design consultants, both for budget, for performance, and for style and, and then 
physicality. So we keep people on the track. You want to hold them a budget of X amount? I'll show you how to do that. You want to do a, a certain frame dimension with performance? I can show you how to do that. But let's not look at the millions of other options on the market because you're going to get exhausted before you get through the end of this. So. Oh, that's so important. It's, it's something like a concierge service or it's just a, yeah. it's a front end. And do you work with primarily architects or primarily builders? We work with the decision maker on the project because in each case, one or another person, it's not always the same person, is actually the one who's making the decision and has the, the but, you know, I think the worst projects we could receive is like somebody had specify a Marvin double hung window and they're curious if uh, Zola is right for that. And we're like, we don't do double hungs. We're not Marvin and you probably aren't gonna go this way because it's nine months down the road and you've already made your decisions. Wow, but there's extra overhead, Sam. Thinking about going right to the decision maker, the decision maker might, if it was the architect, you could invest once in bringing them up to speed on making these decisions and then reap the benefit multiple times. But if it's the owner, it's potentially this one time, their decision, and you still need to invest all that education. So it's, we have, we have like lots of different types of clients and it's pretty much anyone, mostly residential, mostly luxury and high-end residential because we can do huge pieces of glass like 10 foot by 8 foot sliding doors and like uh, 40 foot wide uh, uh, accordion walls and stuff like that. Uh, I, I just want to throw out one of my favorite products right now is an aluminum product that we've started shipping which is our Aluminima super thin aluminum a sliding door that has a glass to glass dimension of 32 millimeters which is an inch and a quarter so if you can imagine a 10 foot tall by 8 foot piece of glass next to a 10 foot tall by 8 foot piece of glass and the distance between the two pieces of glass in that frame is only an inch and a quarter and one of them slides open wow so it's a lot of glass not much frame with extremely high performance that, that's so, incredible and let's talk about sizes is that that's the largest size available uh we're technically constrained by container size. Uh, I do know of suppliers in Europe who have shown me product that's a 12 and a half foot wide by 27 and a half foot tall triple sliders. Whoa! That does not ship in a container because of the 12 and a half, but it is a at about 10 pounds per square foot. You can do the how heavy that is. They're just massive. The glass that they can make there is so big. Incredible. I've seen a single piece of glass from the manufacturer as an example to test the market. They was at a trade show, uh, and it was uh, 56 and a half foot by uh, 18 foot. Get out. And it was a triple R11 glazed. had a big steel frame around it. it. I mean, it couldn't even fit on a train. It was massive. 56 by 18, triple glazed. 56 glaze. by 18. That, that's <laughs> incredible. And so... It just speaks to what you're talking about, the, the range of technology, technological sophistication, let's say, in the industry. I mean, to pull something like that off, I mean, that's like, I don't know, the space shuttle situation. You know? That's right. Incredible. Okay, going back to the differences in market, um, what about market regulation? You mentioned that the U.S. doesn't have like an air infiltration standard. Um, do you believe that market regulation would improve the U.S. market generally, or would it just shut it down and we'd start, end up buying uh, windows all from Europe or European-based companies in the U.S.? I, I got I to gotta say that uh, the U.S. does have an air infiltration test standard. 
but it's but it's voluntary. Oh, interesting. Meaning meaning they don't have to share it, and it's not required to share. That's not the, in Europe. It is required to be shared. Share, share. Interestingly enough, I have seen air infiltration results uh, across most of the product class for companies like Marvin and other. But if you ask somebody to send you the test, they don't have it and won't send it. But I know that they test for it because they have their own labs and I've seen the test results already. So that in and of itself shows you who's driving the regulation in the US versus who drives the regulation in Europe. It's an industry driven. If the politicians get together and they say, okay, how do we make this better? The people they're asking are the manufacturers and the manufacturers say, it's fine. How do we change that? I mean, that's, I mean, we're, we're experiencing that across our entire culture right now, across many different things. Yeah, we current really events, are. Current events, current events, right? So, so you know, uh, from Passive House and being involved with stuff, if you, if you, uh, if a homeowner wants to learn about something in the construction industry, they go and survey anybody they know in the construction industry. And of course, nine out of 10 people will say, what's Passive House? What's high performance? That doesn't exist. That sounds like snake oil. But the truth is, it does exist, it is there, and it is better, and it doesn't cost more, and you really shouldn't survey the market at this point because most people don't even try to learn to do better, unfortunately. Yeah, that is, it's quite sad. I mean, it's either, it's either sad that, and disappointing that the so-called experts in this industry don't know, or it's kind of more, almost worse that uh, this little insidious kind of shameful misrepresentation of facts trying to say that what's normal here is the best somehow. Can I, can I share a story of a lunch I had about seven years ago with the, the designers of the windows that were replaced on the Empire State Building? Sure, yeah, please. In New York City, uh, a homeowner, a, a co-op co member wanted to replace their buildings. He's in a high performance role with me and he had this whole uh, lunch set up and I was there as like the passive house person with my friend Chris and, and lo and behold, the engineer from Colorado who designed the windows to be replaced on the Empire State Building was there and so were the, the, the upper end echelon of the install groups and stuff like that. And we're sitting there talking and this guy's a physicist, a window designer. I'm not gonna name the company, you can go do research and figure out it, who it is if you want to, but uh, I'm just uh, a young building nerd, passive house guy, right? And I'm sitting there having a conversation with an industry leader, consultant to the politician's window guy. And after about 45 minutes, he turned to me and says, why do you know so much about windows? How did you learn all this stuff? And all I said is, I took a passive house class, dude. <laughs> and you, why don't you know this stuff? <laughs> You're the, supposed to be a window physicist. And you're not even, you don't even know about low iron glass and you don't even know about argon testing and leakages. Like, you're supposed to be the one who's teaching me. Why don't you know about this? And it made me realize, I think I have to be a window guy. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is striking how much you learn just when you realize better is possible and you just follow that trail. You start to filter out stuff and you start to see it in a different way and you start to see that most of the stuff you hear is noise that is from marketing and not necessarily specifically related to doing better and building better or spending the right um, the right money in the right spot because i think actually if you're not buying a better window you're actually literally wasting money and you're losing a 20 year you're just recycling it until 20 years down the road you, you money spent on windows should be spent correctly because it makes such a huge difference to the comfort the acoustics the performance of a building and how much you spend 
on your daily or monthly uh, energy bills. Such an important statement. Well said, dude. Um, yeah. So let's talk specifics now, just briefly on, I mean, not specs, but let's say I have a, that's two different categories, new construction and retrofit. Let's start with retrofit. What would you recommend for retrofit solutions? This is the United States. There's north, south, there's major zone changes. Some are AC, air conditioning dominated, some are heating dominated, right? We know that. Uh, each zone has its requirement when it comes to the lowest temperature and also the solar issues there. Ultimately, airtight first absolutely airtight first. That way you can choose to have control over your interior environment in the extreme condition where you live. I mean, a dual glazed airtight window in Texas is extremely important to make sure your air conditioning system can like chug along at a low pace pretty comfortably and do everything it's supposed to. That's so airtight first. And I think if you just start to look at windows in an airtight, uh, with airtight goggles on, you start to see that some windows just aren't, can't be airtight. They're just not made to be airtight regardless of the thermal value or the glass. They're just not airtight. And you should probably move on to a casement or a tilter. Mm -hmm. Of course, that comes up against design and style and my ranch style house, my thin steel look division bars. Honestly, uh, the right suppliers, the right manufacturers can, can keep those looks and can contiguously uh, keep your house with that aesthetic. That's not a problem regardless of if it's a slider or a double hung or not. So there's there's ways around that. And then of course the appropriate U value for your region. Does that answer that question? Yeah, it was very well done. And I'm just trying to remember airtightness specs. They're listed at, if I remember correctly, 75 CFM, and it's a certain number of CFM per square foot. Is there a, you know, a target you would recommend this or lower? Interesting enough, you're, you're like quoting the U.S. standards, which you just generally can't get from window manufacturers. So I, I kind of stick to the European one, which is class four. There's four classes, class four being the top class. It's just so tight that when it's hit with hurricane force winds and water, it just doesn't leak. It laughs at them. Wow. It, it, just says, it just says, yes, a little water got in, but I'm designed to shed that off and off you go. It's just, they're just tight. They're secure. And, and the most important thing is they're quiet because they're tight and secure. Like uh, most people don't realize that a lot of this uh, outside noise that they might have coming through a window is physically traveling the same path that leak air leakage travels. You can kind of get a feel for how tight your windows are just by standing there and listening to the noise coming through them. Okay, so I just quoted the US spec and then you shifted it to the European spec. What is it that like when you're talking to your decision makers, how do they evaluate air tightness? Or are all your windows, see that's the thing is, not all, all people listening to this podcast are going to buy Zola or buy you know, the high-performance Alpen Cascadia, but they might all want to query about air tightness specifications. What would so they they're ask they're going to ask the question, right? They're going to ask the question of the window supplier who comes in, and the window supplier who can answer the question will, and they're going to find out those who can't don't even consider that, yeah. and therefore don't really have a good window. If you can ask that question and it gets answered, then you're in the right spot. Okay, so retrofit, you mentioned tilt-turn. Doesn't that tangle up the logistics of interior shades? Interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, window air conditioner units do here in New York City, so that and shades. Uh, the answer is no. There's some really good solutions. Uh, tilt-turn, yes in the turn, but tilt-turns really are tilt is the, the primary venting solution. Yeah. So that's, that's like forage projection. 
you can usually work shades into that or you can mount the shades to the face of the window frame which actually looks and works very well. Oh, wow. I haven't thought of that. Uh, or you could make them proud of the window so it clears the handle as well. You know, there's a, there's a box. Or, the, you know, the, the solutions are there, and each house has a different kind of shade, dimension, need, curtain. Uh, turn is often used for extreme venting or cleaning. Um, I just want to point out that tilt, the tilt function, when it's in the open tilt, is still secure. A person can't get through the window because of the security function of the hardware. And if it rains while the window's open, no water comes in. That's awesome. Yeah, I love tilt turn. I'd love to see a lot more of them here in the U.S. And often what I hear is people saying, well, how do I handle my shades? And it is sort of a tail wagging the dog situation. Like, well, that's such a minor consideration. But I haven't known how to answer it, so I'm glad you said it. So you can, you do a four-inch projection. You do project the shades into the room a little more, or you put them right on the window itself. I actually have a design guide meant specifically for that that shows the multiple ways in which to handle shades. Oh, really? In comparison, of course, to a double hung. So I have it for the double hung, and I have it for the tilt turn, all on the same page, so you can actually just compare it all. Okay, so new construction then, I guess it's the same thing. You, you go through the specifications appropriate to your climate. Um, anything else about new construction? I guess maybe you could talk a little about integrating the, the window frame into the enclosure, um, how that's supported. Yeah, so uh, here's a, a big difference between uh, your standard typical U.S. frames and your European frames is that all the structure the window needs to support itself comes with the windows out of Europe. The frames are much more robust. They are much more stable. They don't need uh, a shim and to be connected to the to building itself to prevent its warpage, like maybe a three-quarter little box double hung might need, because that window in and of itself isn't self-structured. It needs its surrounding to finally keep it from warping. European windows often have more structure than the actual surrounding opening that you put them into. Uh, and with that, you do need to actually account for a little bit more frame. You need to fit it into the opening. You need to detail it, make it airtight, connect it to the exterior, watertight, connect it to an interior airtight boundary uh, barrier, if you have that, which is passive. Uh, but it actually is not much different from a regular window, except that it actually has a bigger frame that you have to account for in, in your interior as you slip it in. You guys have training guides, installation guides as well, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, of course. And in fact, what we find is actually, for the first time, there's lots of questions and the unknowns, and then they get the window and they look at it, and just like I had that experience, when I first saw it, oh, this is a BMW, not a, you know, a Yugo. <laughs> I didn't know this existed. And then you realize, this is furniture grade, I'm never gonna buy a different type of window again. I'm always gonna go to this because it's so easy to handle, it actually is structural. When I stick it in, it stays where I put it. It's not a game, it works. It's such a higher quality. And then you realize the price isn't even different. So why are those old windows still made? Tradition, man, gotta be tradition. Legacy. That's a good segue into um, tradition is giving way. High-performance windows are much more available. We could hope they're going to become much more common. Where are they going, though? What's the future of windows? What do you see? I, I saw a beautiful window in Germany about two years ago, which was more like a wall mixed with a window. Ocalox, I think was the company. And what it was was a U-value shifting opaque window. It was two pieces of glass, <laughs> and inside of it had two vacuum panels that... Uh, turned on the uh, thermal bypass or shut down the thermal bypass within the glass cavity. 
How do I describe that better? Wow. <laughs> it opened up it opened up slots at the top and bottom, which allowed circulation, which meant at night the building shell could cool the building and let the heat out and neutralize it. And during the day, the the insulation would shift up and close that and then provide an R thirty wall. Oh my gosh. And this thing worked without any mechanism, and it was just a, a, a high-performance glazed wall. Very, very cool. Oh, my gosh. That is so cool. So you're telling me it's, it's, it's handling shading. It's adjusting the heating and cooling loads. It's obviously got the visible light transmission that varies according to what you want. And you're saying it also did some ventilation? Well, it, did, uh, it, it allowed circulation inside of itself, which uh, turned on okay, and off okay. the insulation. It allowed bypass or shut it down. So the insulation was either, either being used or it was being bypassed, which turned the wall's thermal components either on or off, which let, it, let you like almost like the skin on your body cool down or be insulated. And so this would be in conjunction with an actual window as part of the components. And so your fenestration now becomes your uh, smart insulated wall plus your ventilation component. And it just kind of like, you know, your, your, your light component. And you just build these like high tech airtight glass boxes that have way more insulation than your typical building. Oh my gosh. I, when I asked you about the future of windows, I just assumed you were going to talk about specs getting better. Wow, no. that's a game changer. That's incredible. Well, how do you spell that? Uh, Oculux, O-K-U-L-U-X, I believe. Uh, I don't think that product's on the internet anywhere. Uh, I saw it in person and talked to them about their first uh, uh, research ex execution at a trade show in Germany about two years ago, and I kind of got a firsthand uh, preview. So. Wow. Right, let's talk about trade shows generally. Um, oh, yeah. Compare trade shows in the U.S. to the EU. <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I don't even go to trade shows in the U.S. anymore. So trade show in the U.S. is tops tops out at fifty thousand or so people and cost you like five hundred bucks for a few days to go to and you know, like a place like Las Vegas or Orlando. Right. But for a five hundred dollar ticket round trip to Germany and a fifty-two or fifty-four dollar euro entrance for the week. I go to a trade show that has 180 to 220,000 people over seven days. Oh my gosh. That has uh, 15 or 16 football fields of global product from China, Germany, Europe, Africa, India, everywhere. And you kind of get these massive, massive, exhausting views of like everything that's out there. They're just not even close to the same thing. My favorite con conferences are uh, Batamat. Uh, in Europe, in France, that just took place in November. Thankfully, I got in there, and then this uh, whole COVID thing happened. And uh, BAU, BAU, in Germany and Munich every two years. BAU gets about 180,000 people. I don't know what the future of these two conferences will look like uh, in the current climate, but that's what the historical is. You just mentioned China, Africa, India, rattled that off, and that they're at this show, the Batamat or BAU. I guess that's a whole, a whole other market segment. I mean, or, or are they comparable to the all high-performance windows or kind of asymptotically approaching the same spec limits? Um, well, this goes into politics and might be a whole other podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're kind of getting close is, to the end there here. There is uh, China is so present in European trade shows in the European market that uh, German window factories are being set up all over China to execute the windows we just talked about 
in the Chinese market as well as glass. So interestingly enough, there are uh, three factories in northeast China, glass factories, excuse me, that produce all that, that have the same production output as the entire east of the Mississippi manufacturing of glass in the U.S. Whoa. Just, just three of the 250 factories in China. Like I said, I'll say it again. Three of them in China have equal total output <laughs> to all of east of the, U, the Mississippi in the U.S. Wow. Let that, let that sink in. Yeah. We have exported our glass, and the glass we use is Chinese glass. We're 10 years behind, and I said that 10 years ago. So we remain 10 years behind. Until somebody pays attention, we are not going to get this back. Yeah, yeah. Any comments on Africa and India? Africa's coming on. And in fact, the African relationship is with China through Europe. How many people do you know sell stuff to Africa? Well, Africa has wonderful product being installed. It's not coming from here. We're not exporting windows. No, we don't export windows. We export tanks and guns, but no windows. China exports windows. Europe exports windows. There's a, it's a huge, huge industry. They've got the machines. Now everybody is buying the German robots to make windows. So that's a huge export as well. You mentioned that the frames are highly structural, very strong. Uh, for these high-performance windows. Um, but there is a trade-off between structure and insulation value. Um, how do they get such high overall uh, R values, low overall U values for these high-performance windows? So, uh, in a, when it, a different frame materials, it's a different answer. Um, with the Zola UPVC window, uh, it's actually a, a, a slight hybrid with the, the, the central channel in the UPVC window has blown in fiberglass structured. So, so we used to use steel, but now we've actually transitioned to actually uh, fiber reinforced uh, fiberglass inside the channel. So that provides a massive amount of structure while also being thermally efficient. Uh, when it comes to uh, wood windows, uh, the type of wood really matters. So I had a passive house here that's uh, in manufactured. It's a luxury, uh, high uh, eight-story uh, landmark project. And they said, can you give us a price for oak? And I said, if you choose oak, you can't get passive house. And they're like, what? And I'm like, the hardwood doesn't have the U value that the softwood will have. So the wood type is really critical when it comes to the wood windows and or is there insulation as well in the wood window. The moment you have insulation added to the frame of a window, a wood window, the price goes up. I mean, it's just becomes a bespoke, very more specific. There's not a lot of that being done in the year uh, in the US. So that drives up price, but it also adds thermal insulation. But philosophically, air tightness first is most of the window's performance. So if you just integrate air tightness, then the, the frame thermal performance uh, really focuses on condensation on the interior for cold climates, right? And that's where once you get into aluminum and steel, if you don't have any thermal break in aluminum and steel, during the winter in the Northeast, you just get water pouring off the frame. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely not what you want. Uh, aluminum, there's the 90 millimeters, there's 75 millimeters, there's the 80 millimeter. Uh, interestingly enough, all brands refer to these like numbers. That really is talking about how much thermal uh, plastic is in the frame, how much insulation there is. So passive house is like usually 90 millimeter. It's a 
like a UPVC frame embedded in an aluminum window frame. So uh, steel, steel's a whole different conversation, very sophisticated. Uh, we are developing here at Zola our own steel lines with some partners in Europe. Uh, we can probably produce it for half the price of the low quality steel windows here in the US while still being nearly passivized. But that just means it's $180 a square foot. It's a lot of window. When a UPVC when a UPVC window on the trade on the floor at Bau in Germany is eight dollars a square foot, and you're talking now about a steel window that's one hundred and eighty dollars a square foot, that's a big range. Yeah, you know, you mentioned some of the mainstream U.S. manufacturers, Anderson, Marvin, things like that. Companies like those, are they paying attention here? Um, are they moving into this direction? Are you are you sweating it? Are you tell me. Uh, well, Marvin produced a passive house certified, a U.S. passive house certified window. Uh, I think it has four pieces of glass, uh, multi-point. Uh, they introduced it into the Pittsburgh uh, passive house show, like, I don't know, what did that, three or four years ago? That never hit the market. I think what they did is they did an analysis. They certainly can talk about it. They can market it. But uh, ultimately what it came down to is if you ask them to price it, that it's like 2x a similar performance, 2x the cost, a similar performance Zola window. They actually can't produce it because it's not uh, not competitive on the market until they have robots and change that. I honestly, they should have it made in Europe and ship it. It should be a custom window just like the rest of us. Yeah. But they have it, but it's never, never been used that I know of. So it's really this whole production line innovation constraint in the U.S. and there's large investments of capital that need to go into that. Yeah, one example is that a Marvin window uses a Marvin-specific hardware. But with all the European guys, I actually can take the handle off one of the other window suppliers and literally just screw it on a Zola window because it's a, a Lego system. And it's down price. Is that, and I will stop, it's my very last thing. Is that getting back to this free market versus regulated market? Um, or is it just, I mean, why is it that there's such standardization in the European market? So, so a window manufacturer is full stack here in the U.S. They have to make their own hardware. They have to get their own glass relationships. They make their own frames. And it's like their own customized product, like start to finish. Uh, there are, and I think Shuko is a good example of this. Shuko doesn't make frames. They're more of an engineering and legal entity. And they have partners who make their frames. Now, they engineer their performance and provide their product. But they, I don't know that they own any extrusion factories they have people who extrude the windows for them and what happens is you you have developed and by the way Shuko is the largest window company in the world that I'm aware of uh, they, they, they actually have a separation between the component manufacturers and the assembly factories so so Zola and Zola's warehouse, uh, factory is an assembly factory we might cut our own wood shapes but we bring in other people's frames and other people's cladding systems and other people's PVC frame systems and those are ubiquitous. So it's actually more like uh, a cook in a kitchen buying wheat and salt and pepper and making their recipes and figuring out how to like price it out. We're, we work more like a restaurant in that way. We do not raise our own chickens. We do not grow our own spinach. <laughs> you know, that's not what we do. It's about finding the right recipe for the key components of design, performance, and price. Oh, I'm so glad I asked that. Awesome. That really makes a big difference. And then the person can specialize, I mean, the other groups can specialize in um, 
the frames or the chickens or the spinach, and then everyone reaps the benefits. And if one company in Europe decides, you know what, we're bespoke, we're going to keep our prices high, we do this, somebody else is like, actually, that doesn't work. So it doesn't serve the customer at all anyway. They're, I believe they're more open market in Europe than we are here. Yeah. Because you can assemble a window, you can buy those components, you can execute it, and you can sell it to a customer, and if you're better at it than the person next door, then you start to grow your business. And it gets into other the softer side of things too, like client education and client relationships, which That's are right. extremely important. Okay, so unfortunately we've arrived at our uh, time budget, and I know you have kids at home that need to get back on their Wi-Fi signal? Quarantine day 92, yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any final thoughts um, before we go? I'm kind of an idealist. And for, I've been in construction for 15 years, uh, came out of the tech industry. I would always say to myself when I was trying to build lead houses back in the late 2000s, I would say to myself, there needs to be somebody does X, Y, Z. I need to get X, Y, Z to solve a problem. And what I found is every single time I said that, about two or three years later, I realized I was that person. Um, and, and, and I think what we have here is a market that, that it just, uh, let me back up and say one other thing before. <laughs> the other aspect is I seem to be struggling with getting things done when I felt like I had to ask permission from a market and a surrounding ecosystem that really wasn't interested. So. The United States seems to be filled metaphorically with a lot of doors, but no walls. If you find yourself at a door and you knock on it and you ask permission, their answer is no. You kind of entered their realm, you know? But the ability to step off and walk right around that door and keep going is so easy if you realize they're not the gatekeeper anymore. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's, there's so much in our society that's right now going through that. So. With windows and doors and pass-vows, I just realized the more I stepped forward, the more I just did it and took the risk and managed the liability, the more I realized, oh, we're in the Wild West right now, and it's being, I'm being told by people who really aren't in a position to tell me, no, it doesn't exist. So I think what we have is in order for it to grow and for it to take off, we just need to tell customers and show them just a, a glimmer of what's available and, and almost like uh, provide them the questions like what is the air tightness on your window that lets them know the difference between those who have stepped up and those who haven't and are going to help them spend their money better towards the things that are most important to them. Wow, that's a fantastic place to leave it. Sam McAfee, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and share your expertise and your clear passion for this topic. Happy to, happy to talk more. Too much, too much here. Too much. Yeah, there is. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time.